Hey everyone, Andrew here. I hope you're enjoying the show. The episode today is inspired by a case that I encountered uh, on the wards. We had a patient who came to the emergency room multiple times to be evaluated for falls or fractures, and when she would come, they would end up checking troponin and be elevated. And in the setting, uh, I learned about how there can be false positive troponins and interference in the troponin assays. I reached out to Dr. Robert Christensen. He's a professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Suffice it to say that he really is an expert when it comes to using cardiac troponins and the diagnosis of acute myocardial infarction. He has chaired numerous committees, written many guidelines upon the use of cardiac troponin, um, involvement with the ACC, AHA, um, national laboratories, and hosts the core lab for many um, clinical trials. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you are enjoying the show in general, um, please leave a review on iTunes or your podcast app, or better yet, tell your friends and share it on social media. And with that, we'll get started. This is AP Cardiology, and this is your host, Andrew Perry. Right. So my name is uh, Rob Christensen. I'm a professor of pathology um, at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and also a medical director of core laboratories and point of care um, at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Great. Let me start by presenting a case uh, to the, introduce our topic for today. So I saw a woman in her 50s. She had hepatitis C and she had presented with generalized weakness and falls a few months prior to my meeting her. Her EKG at that time had some nonspecific T-wave changes uh, in the lateral leads, and her troponin was elevated to 32. So she was immediately sent to the cath lab at that time and had essentially a normal coronary angiogram, except for some mild calcification in the proximal left anterior descending artery. Her echocardiogram was also normal at that well, maybe some mild wall uh, hypokinesis in the lateral wall. So she was discharged with a presumptive diagnosis of myocarditis and sent home on uh, you know, all these cardiac meds, you know, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, aspirin, statin. She returns a few weeks later where I meet her, where she presents after a leg fracture and her troponin's elevated to, 30, uh, to 10 at that time. Uh, during both of these presentations, just note that she didn't denied any chest pain. And we checked a rheumatoid factor, which was elevated to 1100. And the CKMB was normal. We did some send out testing to Mayo and they did a, uh, they used a separate troponin assay and the troponin there was, was totally normal. And so the first question for you is about how common it is for there to be interference with these troponin assays. So um, interferences with the uh, cardiac troponin assays, uh, particularly the newer generation assays, uh, the high sensitivity uh, version of cardiac troponin, is relatively rare. Um, the, um, I, I guess your patient, the first time that she was uh, in the hospital, um, what was her second troponin? You mentioned that there was one troponin collected that was, um, that was elevated, I think you said. And I just wondered what the second, what the um, second value was. Sure, she went from about thirty-two down to about twenty-eight. Okay. Uh, and the second time, uh, you said ten. 
so that was also above the 99th percentile at your institution? Yeah, our 99th percentile goes to 0.03. So that makes the, that 10 be like 300-fold higher than the 99th percentile. So that is uh, out in la-la land, as is, the, um, uh, as is the one on repeat testing, which she came in a couple weeks later. Okay, so that kind of helps, uh, helps say the magnitude of how, you know, just how elevated she is, which is very substantial. So it would be 10,000 by the, by the new nanogram per liter uh, units. Okay, so um, this would be, um, I think, relatively rare, although not unheard of. I think every, uh, every institution has, um, has seen this sort of, uh, this sort of elevation. Um, and so the repeat uh, testing for, the, for, for both um, uh, presentations to the ED the change, the change between the first and the second value, I'm assuming the second value was probably some three to six hours after, uh, after, um, after the first value, was not, did not show that dynamic rise that you see with, a, um, with myocardial um, infarction uh, or a fall in, in the case that they're uh, presenting very uh, late. Mm -hmm. From the value of the uh, rheumatoid factor, I would um, at first go to um, uh, go to heterophile antibodies, and certainly the information of you sending the assay out and having it be uh, completely within um, you know below the 99th percentile for uh, for the patient is also valuable information uh, about uh, about uh, uh, looking for an interference like heterophile uh, antibodies. Um, like may have been the uh, been the case here with this with this uh, individual. Mm -hmm. Could you explain about these heterophile antibodies and how they are and how they're thought to or how they interact with the troponin assays? How those like work on a fundamental level? Sure. So uh, um, assays for cardiac troponin are all uh, immunoassays, right? So we rely on on our tools of developing. Uh, antibodies um, for, these, for these tests. So um, antibodies are great. They're very uh, sensitive. They're very specific. They, uh, they bind very strongly to, uh, very avidly to, uh, uh, to cardiac troponin. Uh, and um, so they're, uh, they're really a, a wonderful tool. However, they do have frailties, one of which is that they, there are two antibodies generally that are um, used in these formats. One is called the, uh, the capture antibody, which is against one amino acid uh, sequence for cardiac uh, troponin. And these were cardiac troponin I um, assays, so it would be against, a, uh, uh, against likely a cardiac troponin I um, amino acid sequence. And there's a second antibody, which has a, uh, which has a detection strategy uh, bound to it. Oftentimes, this is chemiluminescence or uh, or another very um, um, uh, very bright um, uh, signal um, producer. And what can happen is that there's uh, a couple of ways that these can either call, cause uh, false positives or false negatives. In this case, it sounds like it is a, um, it's a false positive with the elevated uh, value 300 fold higher than the uh, 99th um, percentile at your, uh, at your institution. What happens here is that the that there is um, the antibody that is native to the to the individual that is in the patient sample binds 
to both the uh, capture uh, antibody, a portion of the capture uh, antibody, and also to the detector antibody, the one that's, that's um, linked to the um, signal producing uh, entity. And what this does is when um, during the assay's wash step, where you wash away all of the unbound um, detection, um, this uh, cross-linking is by the um, by the native the, by the patient's own um, antibody uh, doesn't allow the the signal to be washed away because it's like I say it's linked between the capture and the signal antibody. And so that would, um, that would mean that uh, when you go to measure the signal, it, is, uh, it acts as if it's bound to um, cardiac troponin. That is, there's a signal which is proportional to concentration of the, uh, the analyte, in this case, cardiac troponin I, um, that shows up in your instrument and gives us a, uh, a falsely very high uh, reading. Mm -hmm. So... And I think you suspect the heterophile antibodies because those have been associated with rheumatoid factor before. In fact, I even think I saw the case reports of rheumatoid factor itself being implicated yes. as mm -hmm. the interfering antibody that's doing this, you know, this extra binding. Right. And that's what I would suspect in, in, uh, in this case, particularly with the, the evidence that you have from the other lab, which shows a, uh, um, you know, uh, 300 fold above at your lab and then something, you know, completely within the um, normal limits at, um, at the other laboratory. Mm -hmm. What are the other areas for interference with these assays or other areas for error in those, in those troponin assays? So there's a, a few things um, and it really depends on which assay you're looking at. There is, or which, which, um, which one we're, we're examining. Uh, one that is um, uh, that's very clear and very common is um, is hemolysis. Um, hemolysis uh, contents of uh, red blood cells when uh, when released into the solution can interfere with these um, with these tests. And depending on the format of the assay, they can either be false positive or false negative uh, inter interferences. Um, we talked about uh, we talked about heterophile uh, antibodies. There are also some uh, autoantibodies that are against the uh, the um, the troika, the uh, TIC complex um, from cardiac troponin, which can uh, sort of cause uh, which can also cause interferences to these assays. Um, other assays um, uh, can be uh, susceptible to microclots, so-called microclots. So if, uh, if either you draw a, a, a blood sample, um, let's say lithium heparin, for example, and the sample is not mixed properly um, at the, uh, so a pre-analytical error where the sample is not mixed um, uh, in accordance with uh, the manufacturer's recommendations, you can get these microclots as the, the sample um, sort of slowly uh, clots, and that can cause uh, these um, these species, these microclots, which interfere with uh, with some assays, and can and they uniformly cause an increase in uh, in signal. So we've talked about hemolysis. We've talked about some uh, autoantibodies. We the heterophile uh, in your case, um, and then uh, with cardiac troponin T assays in particular, uh, it's a bit controversial. But there is um, uh, there's thought that with skeletal muscle injury, that there can be a cross reactivity with regenerating skeletal muscle um, tissue 
that can cause a false positive with cardiac troponin uh, T assays. Again, there's, uh, there's capture of the, uh, the, the, um, the signal antibody and the capture antibody can react and show, um, and show a false positive with that um, skeletal muscle um, disease uh, with, with cardiac function. Again, that's controversial, uh, but uh, there, is, uh, there is a building um, body of evidence for that. Mm-hmm. And probably the most, um, the most hip or the um, uh, sort of interference is biotin. Uh, it turns out that um, many, uh, many individuals um, take biotin as a supplement. It's believed to be like a beauty aid and better, um, it, it improves uh-huh. also nails and so on. So uh, you can buy this um, in uh, health food stores or at the, um, you know, right across the counter at a, a pharmacy. And uh, biotin um, can, can either be a, um, a, false, uh, uh, a falsely positive uh, interference in competitive uh, immunoassays, or it can be a, uh, or it can be a negative interferent, give negative, false, falsely negative values in, uh, in other uh, immunoassays, such as sandwich uh, immunoassays, which are commonly troponin. So uh, with biotin, and with these other uh, with these other interferences as well, it's not um, the interference isn't particularly limited to um, uh, to cardiac troponin. There can be interferences to other um, other immunoassays as well um, that are susceptible to any of these kinds of any of these interferences. Gotcha. Okay, and I I think I also read about uh, elevated alkaline phosphate levels uh, because the detector antibody. Uh, has an enzyme, the alkaline phosphatase enzyme. Is that a, another way that these can be interfered with? It has certainly been reported. Um, I believe that that most of the uh, manufacturers have now taken, um, uh, and of course the manufacturers are working to uh, to mitigate um, or eliminate <clears throat> all of these uh, all of these interferences with with various strategies. Um, but I have certainly uh, seen that as a uh, as an interference uh, in the past. Uh, and uh, but I believe it's mostly um, mitigated, although that is something that one has to consider with a um, with a falsely uh, elevator or falsely decreased um, value um, for a patient. Got it. Okay. Um, could you also comment about? You mentioned that there are ways that the manufacturers try to help mitigate these. What are some of those ways in which the manufacturers for these assays try to decrease the uh, potential for error on those? So there's a lot of uh, innovative ways that these uh, science that the, our, our 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 colleague scientists in industry have thought about uh, this. One way would be to uh, perhaps incubate. Let's let's take uh, biotin for example again, which is one that there uh, is under a lot of scrutiny now. Where if you could have a pretreatment that would uh, eliminate uh, biotin, and of course one way to do that would be to put uh, streptavidin in there, and one of the strongest um, bonds in nature is the um, biotinavidin um, binding. So if you were to sort of pre-treat uh, in some way with, um, uh, with, um, with avidin, you could, um, you could pull out um, the native, um, the biotin that was in the patient's serum and then use that treated sample in the assay um, after you've removed, you've taken measures to remove all the biotin that might be, uh, that might be the interference. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. 
um, and you know, similar uh, similar ways that you in development of antibodies uh, strategies to um, to eliminate the heterophile uh, antibodies or, or autoantibodies that might be uh, present as well. Gotcha. Okay. So and uh, for the for the micro, I'm sorry for the microclots, yeah. uh, just making sure that the uh, the assays are well um, are are well mixed that the the pre analytical piece is uh, is intact so that the microclots don't. Uh, Form to begin with, but the other is to um, is to spin it down or wait wait for a longer time for it to clot, and then remeasure um, after a very hard spin, uh, just to verify um, validate that there was no um, or there was or was not microclots pres uh, present. I see. Okay. Now, what are ways that a lab or even a clinician can help investigate whether the troponin assay is being interfered with. What are trips and tricks that you can do, you know, quickly without um, any specialized testing? So um, a very valuable tool for that is the telephone. So um, knowing uh, um, assays um, uh, that your colleagues in, uh, you know, within a reasonable distance or an area <clears throat> are, um, are available is a, um, uh, is a valuable tool. Doing just what you had had uh, articulated that you all had done when you saw this um, this very high um, uh, sample, or uh, in this patient who did not seem to have um, uh, was not suffering uh, uh, acute myocardial um, infarction. So that's um, that's one way. There are um, there are other tools that you can buy. Uh, Scantibodies is one which can help uh, clear, and that works that works. Um, reasonably well. Um, also, uh, to, um, to make it very clear, to make sure that uh, the word is out that patients who have high doses of um, uh, biotin to uh, make sure that in draw stations, et cetera, that, it's, uh, that patients are notified that if they are taking um, biotin supplements to let their physician know, and then the half-life of biotin is such that it can be cleared um, pretty quickly. Um, there are some patients, such as MS patients, for example, where biotin has, is used as a, as a therapeutic, um, seems to uh, help with their uh, disease management. So uh, those patients with a very high, uh, high levels and may have to wait, uh, wait several days before they could, um, or some time before they uh, before the biotin would be cleared um, for them. So these are just some of the strategies that are um, that are used to to help mitigate. Gotcha. Okay, uh, I appreciate those bits about biotin. Uh, that was something I did not know or had come across when I was doing my preparation here. Mm -hmm. I think that's all that I have. I appreciate your time in visiting with me. This episode is sponsored in part by MedPage Today. You can find transcripts of this episode and all other episodes of AP Cardiology on medpagetoday.com. Much thanks to the band Broke for Free, whose song Night Owl from their album Directionless EP I have used for my theme music. It is used 